Open your Bible to Romans chapter 8. We've talked a couple weeks on this, and I'm going to do another aspect of it, I believe. Uh, We've talked about what God's doing behind the scenes in your life. So you know that God's working even when you can't see him. We know it so much we got a song. Even when I don't see it, he's working. And so God's working behind the scenes. He's working to will and do his good pleasure. He's working to perfect that which concerns you. Uh, so we have, to, we have to allocate some faith to the fact that God's doing stuff that we don't know exactly what, but we know he's got our best interest in mind. We know that he's thinking good thoughts toward us, that he's always working things together for good to those that love the Lord and those that are called according to his purpose. So we got ha- to have some faith that uh, God's doing some stuff that we haven't even thought about. And even if we have prayed that he's doing stuff to make sure that it comes to pass in a proper way. So we do have trust in the invisible aspect of God working. So you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have it all detailed and planned. God's doing stuff and taking good care of us. Now, doesn't mean we shouldn't pray because we have scripture that says you have not because you ask not. But we have another scripture that says it'll come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're speaking, I will hear. And so there's this current because God knows the end from the beginning. He, he can answer your prayer before you, you ask it. And you've heard, you probably have your own testimonies where the answer was prepared before you even prayed. So, uh, and then we learned last week that the Holy Spirit's working. Right. And so Romans 8, we'll, we'll read a, a reminder here, but the Holy Spirit is also doing some things in us. Now, God and the Spirit are one, and God and the Spirit and Jesus are one, but yet there's a little bit different working that they all three have. So God the Father is doing something, and the Holy Spirit's doing something, and the Lord Jesus Christ is doing something. They're all together in it. Uh, But at the same time, there's just a little bit different aspect that you can apply your faith to. So for the Holy Spirit, you have to apply your faith to the fact he's your friend and comforter right now in your spirit. And Jesus is your friend too, so there's another aspect. But you apply your faith to these things, it might help you. So when you pray in tongues, I like to ask the Lord Jesus, okay, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm about to pray in tongues. And I just talk to the Lord that way. And so Holy Spirit, help me pray out the perfect will of God. Here I go in the name of Jesus. And so praying in the spirit is uh, an activity that spirit-filled Christians, really all believers should be doing because it gives God a chance to do stuff in you, to work in you. Number one, to perfect you and sharpen and refine you like the refiner's fire would do. As you pray in tongues, it helps your character get fine-tuned. And then he also prays out your day and your week and your future. And he also prays things through you that you have no idea about. There could be around-the-world events that are happening, and he needs somebody to pray it. And so sometimes he'll choose somebody to pray it that's not even involved in it. But if you never give yourself over to that, you're, ne- you're never used by God. Most Christians, I would say really every Christian wants to be used by God somehow. It, well, we could say every sincere disciple would like to be used by God. Well, prayer is a big place where you can be used by God. And you don't even have to ask people what to pray about. What, what can I pray for you about? Well, you can do that occasionally. But it'd be a lot better if you just pray in the Spirit by unction. Pray in the spirit, pray in tongues, just by how you're led on any particular day. And you may or may not pray for the person that you're thinking of. So we have to give ourselves over to verse 26, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the spirit also helps our weaknesses, helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as well, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And uh, one scholar says it means groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And then that would refer to speaking in tongues, which is not very articulate for our understanding's sake. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then we decided that because of those two scriptures, verse 28 can work. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are the who are they called according to his purpose. So you can't really have verse 28 unless there's some praying in the Holy Ghost, unless there's some intercession for the saints through the Holy Spirit out of your mouth, praying the mysteries of God, the perfect will of God. So 
the Holy Spirit's doing stuff if we give him chance. And he's bringing us closer to him so that he can work with us and work in us, lead us and guide us and direct us, work miracles through us, intercede through us, and touch others through us. Uh, So now let's get to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he doing behind the scenes? So the Lord Jesus Christ is the spirit and he is is God as well. But the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the person, had a specific ministry in the earth and a specific ministry now. For one, you can see this in verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. So it's God who searches the hearts. Or we could say Lord Jesus and God searches the hearts. And he knows what the mind of the Holy Spirit is. Remember, the Holy Spirit is here to bring to remembrance all the things the Father and the Lord Jesus says to us. And so there's this working together between the Godhead. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So it's also really Jesus who's making intercession for the saints. And so we're going to study tonight how Jesus is our intercessor. And that's a big ministry of his right now in heaven as our high priest. He's our intercessor. He's lifting you up. He's praying for you. He's standing there with you. That's really what intercession means. It means to lay hold of together, to jump in with together. Uh, not, Not just to think about or pray about, but to actually take hold and lay hold of a thing together. Uh... It says to light upon a person or a thing, to fall in with, to entreat. Uh, Go to Mark 16. We'll get a kind of a surface view of what Jesus does. You know, when Jesus ministered and explained things to his disciples, he trained them, he showed them by example, and he said some things that kind of set up the future for them. Uh, And so we see some of this here that Jesus told them, verse, Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Notice that sentence, he sat down, meaning his earth work was over. What he came to do in the earth was over, but it didn't mean his total ministry was over. Once he sat down, earth ministry was finished. That's why he said it is finished. Verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So one thing he does is he he works with us confirming what we say as truth by power. And that's why you and I have to give ourselves into the power of God because he's trying to work with you, confirming what we preach. That's why we should be seeing some miracles somewhere, somehow. You should be seeing them in yourself and for yourself and for others through you. And so we expect that he works with us confirming what is preached. That's what he's doing. Now he's doing it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's distributing gifts and manifestations as needed for the profit of all. So that's one way the Lord works with us. But I want your faith to be in the fact that he will work with you. You don't have to know all the technicalities as something's going on, but you do need to have faith that he's working with me. That it's the Father in me. It's the Lord Jesus in me that does the work. So he's working with me. Just like the Father worked with him, he's working with me. Again, we don't want to be too technical. Well, was that Jesus you're talking about? Was that Holy Ghost? Uh, both. Well, was that Jesus or was that God that did that? Both. <laughs> so I don't want to get too technical and split hairs, but I do want you to have some faith in something. Right. So there's different views to the facets of God that will help you. Uh, turn to John 14. You know, Jesus did not... Jesus did not say he was going to be our high priest. He did not say he was going to be our mediator and our advocate. He didn't, that was not his message to the disciples. 
Now he is, but he didn't explain that. He didn't explain that while he was here. He waited until after he left and then it explains. By the Holy Ghost, it explains that he's our new high priest. See how that works? So when you follow Jesus through the gospels, he says it one way. What did he say in the gospels? He says, it's expedient for me if I go away. For if I go, to, go away, then I'll go to the Father and then he'll send you the Holy Spirit. And so he, he did say that it was gonna happen. He just didn't use the term and he didn't explain the term of what he was gonna be doing for us. John 14, he says it this way. Verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Now the, New the, the, the book of Hebrews is going to explain why. <clears throat> and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So you need to recognize that Jesus is waiting on us to ask for something, require some things in his name to happen in the earth and he will do it. And when we say ask or require, we're not requiring or demanding of God. We're demanding it to happen in the earth. So you have to recognize when it's time to demand it to happen. I demand the finances to come. That's not demanding God to give me the finances. That's demanding something to happen in the earth. And then Jesus said, I'll do it. When you cast a demon out in the name of Jesus, come out. Didn't pray to God, didn't inquire of God or supplicate or intercede. I commanded the demon in the name. Jesus said, if you do that, if you require that demon to come out in my name, I will do it for you. Does that make sense? So that's one aspect of what Jesus doing. The other is, just real quick, turn to 16. John 16, verse 23, and in that day, you will ask me nothing after he's gone. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That's different, isn't it? Here he's saying, whatever you ask the Father. Earlier he said, whatever you ask or the word was require or demand. Whatever you ask or require in my name, I will do it. Here he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That's different, that's a different application. So you don't ask the father to get the demon out. You command the demon out, Jesus says, I'll do it. But you do ask the father for other things. Make sense? Go back to John 14. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the father, he'll give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. There is an aspect of us staying close to Jesus by keeping his commandments. He said, you're my friend if you keep my commandments. Look at chapter 15. I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered. They gather, throw them in the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so, you, so shall you be my disciples. Notice this, if you abide in, Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you ask what you will, and it be done for you. So one thing is that Jesus makes sure your prayers gets answered, but we do have to be in him. We do have to be close to him. It does have to matter to us. We're not just running around doing our own thing without the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're in him, we're stuck into the vine. We can't do anything without him. So have some faith in that you're in him and his words are in you, he's working with you. Have faith that if you know a scripture, then you know a part of Jesus, he's working with you. If you're doing anything in the name of Jesus, by the will of God, he's in you, he's working in you, he's working with you. And anything you ask in his name, he'll take care of. Got to have great confidence in this, meaning like all the way confidence, like walk on tightrope confidence. Amen. Good word. That's really, that's really where, you know, the rubber meets the road. The story, you know, that we've told before, the, the, the Frenchman, Mr. Blondin, I think was his name, 
who was walking tightropes over everything, decided to do it over Niagara Falls. And so he walked across Niagara, Niagara Falls uh, uh, doing different things. One time he, he took a stove across Niagara Falls. He was cooking an omelet across Niagara Falls. Uh, and they were filming all this and, and making note of all this. And he gets over and he's got a wheelbarrow. And he says, you know, how many of you believe I can walk this wheel, wheelbarrow over Niagara Falls? And everybody's like, yeah, the crowd's going wild. Yes, we believe you can do it. He said, okay, somebody get in it. And, and the, the story goes, nobody got in it because they didn't really believe it. You believe in the idea of it. Like, yes, we think so. And we kind of like that. But when it comes down to it, how much real faith do you have? That's how you have to kind of look at your faith life. Are you really in faith? Do you really trust? Are you willing to walk the tightrope? Are you willing to get in that wheelbarrow? How much do you really trust God? And so uh, once you get to 100% faith, uh, you'll walk the rope. Go ahead and take your notepad out and start writing down some things that you might not be ready to walk the rope about. Praise God. Uh, look at John 17, verse 9. Here's where we start seeing some behind-the-scenes ministry. John 17, verse 9. Now, this is a whole prayer that, God's, uh, that Jesus praying to God uh, John 17 is his final big prayer that he's, that only John records really. But he says this, John 17, verse nine, I pray for the, well, let me read verse eight just to set it up. Okay. Verse six. Thanks. <laughs> I have manifested your name to the men that you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've kept your word. Now they have known that all things that you've given me are from you. For I've given them the words that you gave to me, and they've received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they've believed that you sent me. I pray for them. So who's he praying for? He's praying for the disciples. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me. That's interesting. Jesus not praying for the world. He's praying for us. Here he's only praying for the disciples, but watch. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name, those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. Skip down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's actually praying for you and I right here in this prayer. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus was praying for only the people that believed in him and everybody else who believes in him through the apostles, through the first disciples. So we're included in this, that we're all one with him and the Father. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. So you, did you know you have some glory? Amen. People are like, oh, I don't want to take any glory. Too late. <laughs> and we know what you mean. We, we, we know what you mean. You're trying to stay humble and, I, and make sure that you're not taking God's. Don't take God's glory, but do take the glory that he gave you. We don't want credit for anything we're doing because it's not us. At the same time, recognize the glory of God is ours. We can have it. We can experience it. We can relish in it. We can love it. We can exalt Jesus through the glory of God. Amen. I in them and you in me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and I have and have loved them as you have loved me. Praise the Lord. All right. So here's where you see Jesus praying for us. Uh, and that's what he's still doing. He's still making intercession for the saints. He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And so let's go over to the book of Hebrews here. Chapter two, Hebrews chapter two. And you start, uh, Hebrews is going to explain the high priest ministry. So from the Old Testament, the high priest had duties where they had to minister uh, for the people. They had to minister to God for the people. And so the high priest in the Old Testament 
petitioned God on behalf of the people. Okay? Now, we don't have high priests. We don't have priests in the earth. No more priests in the earth. I'm not here to present you to God. You understand? Preachers are in a different category. We're not like a high priest. Preachers don't present people to God. Preachers present God to people. So you can have your own personal relationship with God and the high priest. But as high priest, Jesus has some duties, just like the old high priest had, but different. Similar to the old high priest, but a little different. Hebrews chapter 2 here. Look at start with verse 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's also able to aid those who are tempted. And this is why Jesus had to become a human so that he could go through human temptation, overcome it perfectly, and become a faithful, perfect high priest to God for us. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Notice that he's called the high priest of our confession. King James says profession. You could think of it in the general sense that we've confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, a professed Christ as Savior and Lord. You can also take it a little deeper and realize that he's the high priest of what we say. So when you begin to confess right things and say right things, that's one of the aspects of him being the advocate, the, the apostle and high priest of what you say. Which goes all the way back to what we already read. Anything you require, I will do. He's watching for what you confess. That's why you got to clean up your talk, clean up your language, start talking like God would. Don't get into idle words and blabbing wrong things. Teenagers, if you learn this quick, uh, you can avoid a lot of trouble. A lot of times teenagers speak so wrongly in their teenage years and then their 20s are just riddled with problems. Or people in their 20s don't speak right and their 30s are riddled with trouble. The, the bad news is uh, that your words put you in the condition you're in today. The good news is your words can get you out of it. You got you to gotta you gotta realize this, that life and death are in the power of your tongue. And, and the, the apostle and high priest of our confession it matters to him. Now, a couple of translations don't use that exact phrase, but it should, they should. And they kind of look at it as those who acknowledge Jesus Christ, uh, those who declare Jesus Christ as Savior. But it really doesn't say it that way. It says the apostle and high priest of our confession. Same word confession as used that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So confession is what brings salvation and miracle to us. Verse 2. No, no, we'll, we'll skip verse 2. Go to verse... Uh, go to chapter 3. Uh, chapter 4. Go to chapter 4. We'll start with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see that? The high priest that we have can sympathize with us. He, he knows exactly where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you are dealing with. He knows what's up here. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you've had to go through in life. He knows what's coming. He knows all of your frailties, all your weakness. He knows everything. He knows how it feels to be tempted in the earth, yet without sin. And because he went through it and didn't sin, he can help you. Hallelujah. He can aid. Yeah. 
succor. He can help. He identifies with you and he can help you and he can restore you and he can mend you and forgive you. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So don't think of going to God to get grace and mercy just as going to God. Add some faith in there that because of Jesus Christ going through it with you, going through it just like you have and with you, therefore we can come boldly to the throne of God. Like you really can't come boldly to the throne of God without Jesus. Right. Another scripture says that you cannot enter into the holy place without blood. You have to go to the holy place of God with blood, not your own blood, not your own sacrifice with Jesus. Because of that sinless sacrifice, we can come close to God, have some faith in that because you're going to go through Christian life with some shortcomings and you're going to have to still go to God in the middle of them. And a lot of Christians have no confidence when they go to God because of their behavior. Now, we know that your behavior needs to get better. Some of you probably need a spanking. (laughs) But in the meantime, you still got to go to God to get your spanking. You need some faith to be able to go to God. And you can only do it if you have confidence in the high priest. That's what the high priest does. He's the mediator between God and man. And we only have one mediator. You don't need a person. You don't need a saint. You don't need a building. You don't need a, uh, you don't need a sign of the cross. You don't need any kind of named person. There's only one mediator, mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ. Only one mediator between God and man. Only one high priest, only one high priest, only one high priest. And he doesn't live in Rome. Let's not play games here. And that's, that's the biggest problem with some of these false uh, teachings is it causes people to look elsewhere than to Jesus Christ. It's dangerous for people's faith. It will not help them get to God. It will hinder them from getting to God. Because we hold fast our profession in Jesus Christ, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Not to the confessional. Chapter five, verse one, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness because of this, he's required for the people. So for himself to offer sacrifices for sins and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. See there? In the earth, he did not claim to be high priest. He was not a priest. He was not of the Levite family. Remember, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, totally skirted the Levitical law and all priesthood. But, he, uh, but it was he who said to him, you're my son today, I've begotten you. As in another place, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Without getting too technical right now, Melchizedek was not of the Levitical priesthood either, but he was high priest. He just kind of showed up and that's how Jesus skirted the whole thing, just kind of shows up as the new high priest. He didn't have to get uh, ordained as high priest by man. Look at chapter six, verse 19. Now this is interesting where it talks about the hope, um, the hope of God, having hope, and that's future hope, eternal hope. It's also hope for prayers getting answered, desire for whatever. And so we've taught that many ways, but verse 18 says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. A lot of words to say that we've laid hold on eternal life, which is our hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So here's what you need to recognize, and you can apply this in many ways. So uh, the thing we hope for eventually is eternal life. You need to know that we're, we're laying hold of eternal life now. 
You're not trying to get eternal life. You're laying hold of it. And I ain't letting go of it. And my desire and hope for eternal life goes behind the veil into the presence of God. I am confident of that. Why am I confident? Because I read the scripture. Why am I confident I'm saved? Because I know the Bible. I I know what he said. I have confidence that my hope goes into his presence. He's got it before him. And we can apply that to any other hope that I might have. I applied it to be married. I had hope to be married for seven years. It went behind the veil and I just left it there. Hence, I'm married. (laughs) Financial security. I have a hope for that because I have a heavenly father. I've already, we've already proven through scripture, man, he'll take care of everything. And then some, he'll always give abundance to his people. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging, begging bread. I have a great hope in that. It went behind the veil. I have an abundance for every good work. Any work that I need, I got an abundance for it. Ooh, I know. How do I have hope in that? Because I know the Bible. Once I, have, once I have a great confidence in that scripture, my hope goes behind the veil into the presence of God. Ooh, he's got it. I mean, something goes on behind that veil. Something goes on in the presence of God, don't you think? If I don't have hope, guess where it's not going? Verse 20, behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Guess what else is behind the veil? Jesus Christ. He went behind the veil into the presence of God. Our hope goes in there with him. How could you not be confident in getting your prayer answered? Lord, I need a vehicle. Boom, there it goes right behind the veil. It's time to go buy some tire shine. Before your car comes, go buy your tire shine because your hope is already there. Amen. See, this is where you start. How do you apply these theological truths like that? Pick something and recognize, you know, he cares about all these little things in your life. He knows it's important to have tires and, and a car to go on top of them. He's not in heaven's. He's not in heaven saying, why don't you just get a horse? Here's a car with no tires. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you need before you ask. He he knows better than you what you need. Look at chapter seven, verse 24. But he... Oh, this whole, this whole thing's so good here, but we're not here to teach the book of Hebrews. Okay. Verse 24, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for us. You have someone petitioning God all the time, standing between you and God all the time. So you live your life of faith all the way as far as you can. And if you've missed something, he'll take care of some things. You be faithful in the stuff that you know to do. He'll take care of some of the things you don't know to do. Isn't that exciting? We've told the story of Lester Sumrall, who was uh, an apostle really to uh, an overseas missionary for a number of years. Uh, casting demons. He was known and famous for casting demons out back in the early days, 50s, 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s in there. And um, he tells a story that in, uh, in China, where he had a big ministry and started seeing demons, he, he thought that demons only existed in the Orient. So he started going to other countries. But while in the Orient, they were traveling on horseback or actually on mule and uh, he was with Howard Carter, and they're traveling with the, with the Chinese, the Chinamen, he called them. Um, and they were traveling for days on horse to get to the next town. And he said he contracted dysentery, which he said he probably got it from uh, drinking the bad water somehow. They didn't boil the water enough, or he, he said, maybe I accidentally uh, got too thirsty and drank out of the, China, the Chinamen's canteen. And uh, he said he was throwing up and throwing up blood for two days. He said, but I didn't tell anybody that was with me because nobody wants a complainer. 
He said, I didn't tell anybody that was with me because nobody wants to travel with a complainer. He said, and then this one morning they get up, they're traveling out at 7 a.m. He said, usually he was in the front, but today he was in the back, or this day he was in the back, so nobody really knew. He said, and with all the, the, the fly swatting and all the, fate, the, the mule swatting, they kind of didn't even know what happened to him. He fell off of his mule, and uh, the, the caravan went on without him. They didn't know he fell off. He, he said he had enough cognizance to tie a little, the little rope that was, uh, and it wasn't really a harness or a saddle, just a rope just tied the rope around the, the bush, and he said he passed out. He wakes up, I think he said 11 a.m., you know, several hours later, and he's perfectly whole, whole again, totally healed. No, no problem, no pain, no symptoms, and he's just praising God, glory to God. Praise the Lord, gets back on his mule and catches up with them. I don't know how, but he caught up with them. <laughs> and so a um, couple years later, He's in uh, Alabama here in the U.S., and he's preaching at a church, and a couple people in the church, teachers in the church, uh, maybe school teachers in the church, they asked the pastor, hey, can, can Lester Sumrall come stay with us at our house? We just want to bless him and take care of him. And so, sure, so Lester Sumrall's eating dinner with them, and, and, and they said, hey, do you keep a journal of your travels and such? He said, yeah, I got a five-year journal at, at any one time. I, I, I record everything that happens to me. And they say, can you take a look at this one day? And it turned out to be that day. He goes, oh yeah, I got it right here that day. That was the day I was healed gloriously by God of dysentery. And they say, well, we wanted to tell you because when it was morning over there, it was night here. And we didn't know what was going on, but we knew that you were in trouble. God told us that you're about to die. And so we began to call on the name of the Lord and command that you can't die. And we, we called on Jesus for you to be healed and delivered. And so we didn't know what had happened, but we knew we had a release that you were going to live. Somebody he didn't even know. Somebody that only knew his name through the church, the pastor, whatever. I don't think they had uh, social media back then. There was none of this. Uh, everybody, I, I, I got a tingle. Please pray for me. It was, it was you got to rely on the Holy Ghost. Come on. Send this to 55,000 friends and see what happens. But I want you to see that the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes intercession for you. Now, now in the, he, he needs someone in the earth to do stuff. So as he is making intercession, he's using people to get this done. He's using his body to cause the will of God to come to pass. So we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. So you could be the prayer. And if you've lived a life of faith, then you can also expect... That when you're in time of need Amen. and you can't do anything about That's it, right. others can help you. That's right. And we have that happen around here all the time. Right. And so our, our prayer teams, man, and, and the people that are kind of in the core and doing things together, man, they're always working together, praying for, hey, I was praying for you. And then boom, that was, that's right. I needed it that day. You didn't even know it. Right. One time I remember the first time this happened to me, I called a friend. Uh, I had him on my, all of a sudden uh, the, my friend's name, I mean, his face came to me and I just, oh, I just called out called out to God for him. And I called him. I said, Hey man, you okay? He said, well, I'm in the emergency room, broke my wrist. I said, no, the Lord said be fine. And it wasn't broken and he was fine. Just a little simple thing. Uh, but you, it's exciting to see that the Lord Jesus Christ knows everything. Can you imagine he knows everything? And he ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hallelujah. So as a high priest, he, he, he took his blood behind the veil and the blood speaks pretty loudly for Amen. us. Yes. Like yes, Jesus, holy blood speaks everything for us. Yes. We're going to come back to Hebrews. Go to Romans five real quick. <clears throat> so as high priest, he, ma he made sacrifice, not with animal blood, but with his own blood. And that blood settles our justification. It settles our exemption from jail. It, it alleviates our punishment at the whipping post of sin. It's a big deal. His sacrifice of his own blood, it, it's, it's heavy weight in heaven. You think your sin is heavy weight? 
His blood is heavier. It's a big deal. People don't realize this sometimes because you're living with sin. You're living with the memory of your shortcoming and, and how his blood is heavier and speaks louder. You have to have great faith in his blood. Amen. Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 will explain this to you. And just it'll, it'll just blow you. If you read it about 20 times, it'll just blow you away. His blood takes care of all of your sin. You understand that? Praise God. We're not in the same class as sinners. A sinning saint is not in the same class as a sinner. A sinner is called a son of disobedience. Their father is disobedience. That is not your father. You have a heavenly father. So you're, you're either a son of disobedience or you're a son of God. So a son of God who misses it is different than someone who's a son of disobedience and the Amen. devil. That's right. And a son of God who misses it has the blood of Jesus Come once on. for all Hallelujah. shed for us. Meaning if you care and are sincere about Jesus Christ, his blood speaks for you. And you have to understand the justice system of God. There's a courtroom. God is still judge. He's still judge and, and, and sin, uh, there's still wrath day coming, but not for the Christian. And so what you have to see is that, is that because of uh, sin and all that, yes, the justice system says, hmm, but Jesus says, I covered it. As soon as God would, would maybe want to raise his gavel, he looks at Jesus and puts it down. Really, God's not doing that. God already knows that his son took care of you. So God's never angry at you. God's never got his lightning bolt ready. And then Jesus steps in frantically. No, it's not like that. The outcome is the same, but it's not like that. God and Jesus have a partnership in this. It was God's plan to send his son. And so all he can see is Jesus Christ. He looks at you. All he can see is Jesus. I mean, he can see you in, in the, the vision somehow. He can see you, but really he sees Jesus first. That allows only love from him, only goodness from him, never harshness from God. This is a big deal. It does take you know, hours to go through all the scriptures to explain this well, but you need confidence in that, that as high priest, he's your mediator. Romans chapter 5 says a couple things about it. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So you are saved from God's wrath. All unsaved people are destined for God's wrath. You're saved from his wrath. So whatever goes on in the earth for you is not God's wrath. You understand? Whatever uh, negative stuff or bad stuff or suffering, whatever happens to you that doesn't seem real good, it's not God's wrath. It might be something else, but it ain't God's wrath. So the Christian has to develop this great confidence that God's not punishing you all the time for sin. You can't live your life thinking, oh, I'm, getting, I'm getting punished by God. The wrath of God's hitting me. Lost my family, lost my job, lost my money, lost my peace. God's punished. That's not what it is. It's something else. It's not God's wrath. I'm saved from wrath through Christ. The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. much to say in here, but verse 19 says, uh, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through, through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So sin used to have the upper hand, uh, but the, uh, so, but now grace has the upper hand. Hallelujah. For, for the believer, sin used to abound. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Just when you think you've sinned too much, there's a little bit more grace for you. Amen. 
Just when you've sinned way too, too much, just when you've sinned way too long, there's, there's more grace. So where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So you can't run the grace of God out. As long as you believe in Christ, as long as you care, you're never going to run out of the grace of God. It's always there if you come boldly to God. You do have to have confidence. Enough to come to God through Christ. You don't want to fall short of the grace of God. You, it's possible to fall short of the grace of God. It's poss possible to frustrate the grace of God. But if you need the grace of God and really want the grace of God, you can have the grace of God. Hallelujah. And so in times of uh, temptation or in times of calamity or in times of sin or whatever, you have to have faith that you can have more grace. Amen. You just do. To make it through this life as a Christian, you're going to have to have confidence. You know what? I have to have some more grace. Amen. And you do need to repent and all that. You can do that tomorrow. <laughs> okay, do it, do, do it simultaneously. Repent and... and Express yourself and expect grace. Amen. Don't expect wrath tomorrow. Jesus taking, you have to have confidence. Jesus is taking care of this for us. He's your high priest. He's behind the veil. He's taking care of you. You're saved from wrath because of him. Through Christ, you're saved from wrath. It's the only way to have any strength. It's either, it's either don't ever sin again. And you'll have strength. That's one reason not to sin, so that you have strength. That's one way. Don't ever sin again and you'll have strength forever. Or have great confidence in the grace of God, in Jesus Christ, in the blood. Have great faith in the blood of Jesus so that you can still be strong even though you should be flimsy. The more sanctified you get, the, better, the, the more strength you have. I remember a story from Smith Wigglesworth. His little daughter was playing with a doll and uh, she'd pick the doll up and it would fall. And she'd pick the doll, doll up, but it was flimsy doll. So it would just fall back to the ground, crumple, you know. And uh, the little girl said, he just ain't sanctified yet. Because <laughs> if you're sanctified, purified, set apart for God, if you've overcome uh, the devil and the temptation, you'll be stronger and you'll stand stronger. Right. So until you're strong, make sure you have a lot of faith in the grace of God, but don't just stay flimsy. Right. Amen. Who wants to stay flimsy every day? God picks you up and then the next day you fall back to nothing. Come on. So there, there's, um, anyway, all right. <clears throat> I'll just quote this one to you. John chapter five says this, that the, okay, we have to read it. All right, go to, go to John five. We'll come back to, then we're going to go back to Hebrews and finish. John chapter five. Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And that's really what happens. You say that God's your father, then in essence, you're equal. Father and child is equal in essence and nature. So they didn't like him for that. Uh, it does give us something to think about for our own self. We call God father. We've got some of that same substance. You understand? Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. Verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. And so this is a, this is a whole other door to go through, but recognize this, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. And if you recall, Jesus said, you know, on that last day, he said, I, he said, I'm only going to judge those who believe in me, those who've received my word. Those who didn't receive my word will be judged by my word. So it's a more personal judgment through Jesus. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's a more personal moment. Judgment in heaven with Jesus is a personal time, not a harsh 
indifferent time where the books judge. The books will judge all sinners. Jesus will judge you. Here it says the Father doesn't judge any of us, but has given all the judgment to Jesus. Jesus, the high priest, is the judge of the church, of believers. But notice how it says the Father doesn't judge any of us. So God, the Father, is not judging any of us. Can you imagine that? Now, God still judges the unsaved. Notice it uses the term father. The father judges. God is not father to the world. He's only father to the believers. So it uses, he used father, not God. He's not talking about God. He's talking about the father. God still judges the world. There's a day of judgment coming. There's a day of wrath coming for the unsaved. But for we who are saved, God doesn't judge any of us. He's given that to his son, Jesus Christ who lived an earth life and went through it. What it does is it put us in a more favorable place Amen. where one who walked in our shoes yes, gets yes. to judge us. Yes. And that's why he's a merciful and faithful high priest. He, he was tempted like we are so that he can make intercession and plead and judge. It's just a different role that Jesus has. Now, he is the same as God, uh, so it's hard to really kind of say all that, but Jesus said that, not me. <clears throat> all right, so go back to Hebrews chapter 8. Just a couple more scriptures, we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Skip to verse six, but now he's obtained a more excellent ministry. He's the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Hallelujah. So Jesus is the testifier of this covenant. And you can't, you can't have a last will and testimony until the death of the testator, another scripture says. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, turn to Hebrews 12. We're skipping so many wonderful things. Have mercy on us, God. But we got to get to chapter 12, verse 24. We are going to go back to one, though. Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven. Did y'all register for heaven? Yes. We're registered in heaven by receiving Jesus. We're called the general assembly and church of the firstborn. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is some high theological terms. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant of the blood of sprinkling. And that just refers to the way that the Old Testament priest sprinkled the altar, the book, and all the people to atone for sin. The blood of sprinkling is the atonement blood. For us, it's the remission blood. It's the sacrificial blood of Jesus. And it speaks better than what Abel's blood spoke. The blood of Jesus speaks for us. Hallelujah. Go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, start with verse 21. Or we'll read verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. That's important to notice this living way. Jesus is the way. You remember the scripture? Jesus is, said, I'm the way. What's he talking about? He's talking about the way into the holy place. The Old Testament way into the holy place was only for the high priest, only after he washed properly, only after he sacrificed properly, only after he sprinkled blood properly. It's the only way to get into the presence in the Old Testament. Now Jesus is the only way to get into the presence. Through, through the veil, the veil was a symbol of Jesus' flesh. It had to be torn. Remember when Jesus died, the veil was torn. Verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God, because of that, high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is where as you approach God, let your conscience be sprinkled by the blood. So you have faith in the blood from an evil conscience. Let your heart be sprinkled with the blood so that you don't have an evil conscience. This is how you overcome a guilty conscience. You must sprinkle the blood. Or you must at least have faith that as you approach, the blood of sprinkling covers you. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So you hold fast to this. Don't waver in this. Don't be flimsy as a Christian in the way you think about it and talk about it. The way you think about yourself when you look in the mirror. Don't be flimsy about these truths. We have a high priest. Hold fast your confession of faith. Be confident that you're a child of God and you can't enter. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Find a promise of God, hold fast to that and know that this works. Know that, the high, know that Jesus, he's everything for us and he's taken care of these prayer requests. Come on, don't you trust God? Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't you trust the whole idea that we have a mediator who ever lives to make intercession, who's always involved in this? Sometimes we feel so small and so little and so far, and you can't live like that. You can't pray like you're far from God. You have to be a friend. You have to be close. You have to be able to pull the curtain back. Hey, can I come in there? I don't know. You gotta, you gotta feel that. God loves it when his, when his children can have some confidence in their father, in their Lord, in their mediator. And then verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I don't know why I threw that in. Or maybe to help people go to church. You know, they had, a problem in the, they had a problem in the Bible days of Christians not assembling together. He had to tell them, don't forsake assembling. Don't just sit at home saying, well, I don't have to go to church. Assemble. And I see more and more where so many Christians who aren't faithful to assemble often, they, they miss messages like this. They miss this. So, so they're living with guilt. They don't need to. They're living with lack of faith. They're, they're living with a, a less hope than we have. If, if you don't get to hear messages like this that kind of knock the dust off of you in moments when you need it and be reminded of things throughout your Christian life, you, you won't have what you need and you'll miss God. You won't experience the great stuff. You'll miss the glory. Yes. Think about how many Christians are missing all the wonderful, glorious things that we learn. Yes. And it's not that you didn't know these things necessarily, uh, but hearing them again sure helps, right? Yeah. Amen. Looking at a different angle sure helps. Right. Sitting in a place where the Holy Spirit can, can drop very important personal things to you. See, right now through all of these technical things, these theological things we've gone through, your whole life has come before your face, hasn't it? Or lots of aspects of your life and week and month and future have come before your face, haven't they? And now you've seen how to apply. But if you don't sit under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you won't get that. Amen. He's this distributor, this personal comforting distributor of all the, the revelation you need for your life. Yes. And it's different for all of you. Everybody had a different example today of your own life as we go through these scriptures. Even though these are highly theological scriptures, aren't they? But if we go through them, the Holy Spirit has a chance. Yeah. 
Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. So hold fast your confession. We can go to verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance. After you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. Now the just shall live by faith. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is the Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.